Hey, it's Micah. And hey, it's Phil. Welcome back to the Big Stick Podcast. Today's episode will see Micah and I talk to Commissioner John Mares. Commissioner Mares was elected to represent Precinct 3 on the New Aces County Commissioner's Court in November 2016. Commissioner Mares's precinct includes the cities of Robstown, Driscoll, Aguadusi to portions of Corpus Christi as well as many other areas in the New Aces County. Commissioner Marez graduated in 2000 with a bachelor's degree in political science, and then in 2002 he received his master's degree in public administration from Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Commissioner Marez also graduated from Del Mar College and Ray High School, both of which are in Precinct 3, in which he represents. In this episode, we talk with Commissioner Marez about the importance of local politics, too often, national and local media outlets focus on federal political issues and happenings, rather than giving its viewers a balance of both federal and state politics. Through this episode, Micah and I hope to give you guys that necessary insight into why local politics is important, what it provides, and how you can get involved. Supporting this podcast, as always, is Colston's Repair Service, which is an auto repair business based in Texas from both the Austin and Houston areas. They are an amazing auto repair service that provides five-star maintenance for your vehicle that you just can't get anywhere else in the area. In addition, Micro and I would greatly appreciate it if you could subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. This would really help us expand our reach out to more people and develop more quality content for you, the listener. I hope you enjoy this conversation between Commissioner Marez and us as much as we did. Now, let's get down to the episode. gone through a primary earlier that year and then the, the general election was in November and thankfully I was unopposed in the general election uh, but uh, the primary I had a primary and a runoff in the primary to become the uh, the nominee and then thankfully ran unopposed in that November election so yeah four years now uh, on the court and I've really enjoyed it and so how is that process of getting elected within your position and of course Commissioner Mares um what is a commissioner, first off? I don't want – because there's multiple different types of commissioners. I know Phil and I were talking before the episode. We were saying, like, what is the type of commissioner over in Great Britain compared to here? And, you know, so what is it that you do specifically as a commissioner? What is that role? And then also, what is that election process like? I know you ran unopposed, but how does that work in a local politics setting? So county commissioners in Texas, you know, you, you if you look across different states here – uh, in the states, it's they, they go by different titles, right? If you look at California, it's a, uh, I think it was a board of supervisors. And so it depends on what state you go to. It depends on the title. And even when you do talk about county commissioners, because that's usually the, the moniker that most use in most states, uh, the job duties change very drastically. Like there's a very separate division of politics, of responsibilities. Like if you say, look at, uh, you know, states – in North Carolina or Illinois or somewhere like that. But when you look at Texas, we're kind of handcuffed, right? We're, we're very much limited in some of the powers that we're able 
to do because that's just kind of the way over all these years uh, in Texas that has been created. Uh, you would think you have the city government and then the county government's bigger and kind of supports uh, the cities, which we do to a certain extent. But Texas cities have so much more power uh, politically to be able to, and when I say power, I mean like freedom to be able to go and create ordinances to re respond directly to an issue that comes up, right? If say, if there's an issue uh, dealing with uh, economic development of some sort, say with housing, we have something similar, but our power is given to us directly by the state. So it's basically if the state of Texas does not say it, we can't do it. Mm -hmm. the, city, the cities in Texas are kind of reversed with that. So we're very limited in what we do. We, our main responsibility as the commissioner on the commissioner's court, and of course there's four county commissioners in, in each uh, county in Texas, and then the one county judge. So you have a five-member commission, and each of the commissioners have their own precinct responsibilities, or some would call it almost like a district responsibility, a ward responsibility. Uh, but we all uniformly share responsibilities of, you know, we're, the, we're basically the main budget officers. We're the ones that approve the budgets for all the departments in the county. And we have departments that are run by appointed officials, right, that we directly appoint. Right. But there are also those that are elected, like, say, the sheriff or a county clerk. They're their own elected official. Yet when they need their budgets approved, it has to be approved by us. So, you know, we have that main responsibility. We deal with health care, which obviously with the COVID going on, that's been a big deal yeah. for us on the county level. So, you know, those, those are a couple of, of the main issues that we handle um, and the others we deal with other elected officials. So it's very much more of a partnership and trying to find common ground, I think, in my opinion, as compared to when I was a city councilman where it was, you know, it came from us, you know, to the, to on the top and then it filtered out to all the department heads that way. So it, it's, it could become a little bit of a challenge, but, um, I really enjoy these four years I've been as commissioner and thankfully it just got reelected. So, uh, I have another four, um, after this now. Fantastic. I mean, what really, you know, when I think of politics specifically, you know, when I was getting my political science degree, I always thought of federal government. And the reason why I wanted to do this podcast episode with you is because I think local government is almost impor as important, if not maybe more important than federal government. And I feel like more people should be running for offices specifically within the local level because they can affect so much change that they don't really realize, you know, because everyone's focusing on the presidency or they're focusing on the Senate or the, the Congress in general. And one of those things is like I, I really appreciate it people like you who actually run for local office, what made you want to do that? Was there something that you were doing when you were at university um, that made you want to run for local office or was it something else? Well, um, I, I, I give it back. When I, back when I was a baby, right? You hear a lot of those stories in life when you talk about things that really shape and, and, and mold you. Uh, when I was a young, young child, uh, Gerald Ford was president and came into Corpus Christi one day my parents are lifelong Democrats. I'm a Democrat. But, hey, he's president, right? Right. And this was back in the, in, the, in the 70s. And so they took me. I think that that just kind of being near that presence, he came and said hello to my parents and, of course, worked down the line to, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people that were there looking and wanting to see and meet the president. Fast forward to that. When I was in fifth grade, our mayor at the time in, in Corpus Christi uh, 
he he came in and spoke to our fifth grade class and he talked to us about city government and it was at that moment that really just caught my attention i said you know what i want to be in in politics i want to serve the people one day and then a few years after that when i was 18 years old i uh, filed for my first office ever to run for public office i ran for um corpus christi city council and i ran against an incumbent who um who was had been there for several terms and I was, it was my first election I was ever going to vote in, and I was really upset to find out that he was going to run unopposed. So I said, hey, I'm going to file. And I ended up filing, another gentleman filed. And I actually came in second place out of three candidates. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of really got my fire going and said, hey, you know, I want to get more involved, and I want to run one day when I feel like I've gotten all these accomplishments out of the way, and then I could really be a, a great candidate you know, for the people to consider. And so I went through through college. I started my own political talk show uh, back then and just started interviewing politicians and people in the community. And it just kind of got me to where um, eventually in my early 30s, I ran for city council and, and then won, beat it, uh, ran against another incumbent. And and, and that time I, I won. And uh, as you say, the rest is history. So that kind of really molded who I was, who I am now. It's just being drawn to public service. My parents were big on volunteers. They would vote every election. They didn't really get involved in any campaigns, but they made sure we went to, you know, they went and voted every election. They always would take my sister and I with with them. And I always wanted to see what they were doing. I wanted to understand the process. Even as a little kid, I was asking all these questions. So I guess, you know, in retrospect, you look at it, and you just say, yeah, I, I just there was something in me that's always been there in me. I've always had an interest in being drawn to that. Then seeing my parents being just volunteers in the community growing up and just serving people that way. And it just kind of was like a, a natural connection, a natural draw to me to want to be in, in public office. And and so that's kind of where I've been. You know, I've been able to serve on city council and school board and now as county commissioner. And so uh, each and but, but by the way, each step of the way, I always thought that that was the end. I always thought, OK, I'm done. I'm not going to serve anymore. And another <laughs> door would open and then I end up running. So uh, but that, that's a little bit about my story, how I got to it. I'm sure people have similar or some are just kind of out of the blue, jump into it and, and maybe love it or, or want to be involved that way. But for me, I think it was really a process that started early on and just something I just always felt a calling to. I know for me, it's like the one thing that inspired me to really look at and want to work in the political arena um, was actually a professor of mine. His name was uh, Dr. Brent Burgess uh, from Concordia University in Austin, Texas. And he really, it was funny because I was a history student and I, and I was at a community college up in Maryland because I played college tennis. And so I went there for a year and I was getting my, you know, I was going to just do history and that was, that's what I wanted to do. And I was, you know, my mind was dead set on that. Well, one day I'm just walking through Concordia, like it's the first day of school or the day before the first day of school. And all of a sudden this professor comes up to me and says, Hey, you're new. What's your name? Like already could tell I was new because it's a small school, small campus. Concordia only around 2,500 undergrads. And he was like, I was like, Oh, you know, my name's Micah. Um, and he says, what's your major? I said, Oh, I'm doing history. He says, Oh, history do you like politics? And I said, yeah, I mean, sometimes. I mean, my, my parents were more into it than I was at the time. And then he and my mom was with me and he said, hey, come to my office. He went and we, we talked and he said, this is why I think you should get a political science degree. This is, you know, why we want more history majors getting poli-sci degrees as well, because it's a good combo. Um, and I think I would agree with that. So anyone who's a history major out there, definitely go get another degree on top of it. Do a dual major. It's super important because Right now, I would say in the job market scheme, if you just have a history degree alone, it's not really going to open opportunities up as much as I think if you have a history and business degree or a business 
uh, poli sci degree or history and uh, poli sci degree. Like those combinations work really well together for dual degrees. If you're just if you're wanting to get a bachelor's degree in history. Um, that being said, he really got me going in in wanting to go into politics, and from then it's like you just said, the rest is history. I fully invested my time. I love politics. This is something that I've always wanted to talk more about, and that's why I started up this podcast with Phil. I know with Phil, I know you guys have a king and queen, but like, what 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 would you say inspires you over there? Like, you think inspires other British people specifically to get into politics? You think? Uh, I think it's this similar. I'd say it's a similar reason is what stems people is ultimately people looking at um, the system and thinking I can improve this. And what's different about the UK system is that intrinsically it starts local as in your local mp is as you say we don't have a presidential system and ultimately the prime minister is nothing special he's just another mp just like anybody else he also represents a certain constituency it just happens to be that the party has decided that that particular mp is the one who will speak for the party but because of that system means that every mp technically has a a very local um focus should we say uh with his his or her constituency and when you read about people from both all, all of the different political parties it ultimately comes down to people looking at the system and saying i can i can do a bit better there hasn't been quite as because we have a multi-party system we haven't had much in regards to running unopposed that has happened historically um, but that was largely back in the day when you had to pay quite a lot of money to run and therefore people generally unless you had the, the the wealth to support it likewise the job as a member of parliament or mp wasn't paid so it meant that generally only the, the richest of society could afford to do that as a in essence a hobby on the side uh, nowadays that doesn't happen since uh, being an mp has a you has an income that one can be expected to live off there isn't really people running unopposed so nowadays i'd say it's more people looking at it and thinking I can do a lot better and this often happens as well in constituencies which are considered safe seats because quite often I mean I'd imagine it's the same in America that as soon as it gets a, a, a constituency has a reputation for voting for one party regardless of who is on the ballot a lot of people get frustrated and in local elections that's often where the change starts in that I remember when I was doing my undergrad in Birmingham so it was a Labour Party um, safe seat and the local councillors so we have another level underneath mp which is the the councillors and they were basically from the conservatives and liberal democrats were advocating look just vote just vote even if you normally support labor don't vote for them this time because they've got into this this ideology that whatever we do or don't do will be elected so if you just just one time just vote, and this is at a lo- very local level, not on the on the, the equivalent of a federal level, but if you just it will shake up the system enough that suddenly the um, the local MP and the other councillors will suddenly have to think, oh, actually, hold on a second, maybe our jobs here aren't quite as secure as we would have liked, and therefore they're going to be back into trying to win the the, the vote. So that's something I've noticed in the UK anyway. Have you noticed that as well, uh, Commissioner Mares? Do you think that there's a different sense within the local politic where you're having more diversity of people being voted into specific commissioner positions or local politic positions compared to that of maybe like a state representative or federal representative? 
Absolutely. I think there's a lot more, you know, interest. You see, obviously, a lot more candidates. And, you know, and I've had several people tell me exactly the point that you brought up, Micah, which was, you know, you can have so much more influence on the local level. I mean, yeah, be worried or, you know, support your candidate or whatever who gets elected nationally, federally. But, you know, you have a chance to influence your daily life more in a local elected position than depending on whoever got just recently elected president. And I have to agree with that. You know, like, like I mentioned, I've been, I've been, you know, in several different government levels of government now. And I typically, most people, if, if when they run for office, they may run for say a school board position because um, that's closer to home. It's, it's very much local. And uh, you know, a lot of people have interest in it. And but I went from city council, which was uh, a, a much bigger area to to represent uh, more issues to to talk about and vote on. But I, I was told by a council member I was, I was going out who had been on the school board and then had become elected as a council member, and he told me, he said, "Good luck on school board, because because if you think you get chewed out here, wait till you get to school board. Wait till you start talking about bus routes for kids that are taking to get to school." or school curriculum that may change. Uh, he goes, that's where you really gonna be put trial under fire. And he was absolutely correct on that. I mean, I, the amount of, of attention that people put on school board races because it, it impacts their child. And once you're there, you know, people are upset. You know, they, they wanna see results. They want their child, the children to be educated. They wanna make sure that they have the best schools available. And so there was really some really hot uh, items that came up before us that really just made you realize, gosh, I know the people on the federal level get a lot of impact and flack, much more by numbers, you know, by percentage wise. But but reality is, you know, if you have a beef with the president, you know, they're not going to necessarily hear your, you know, about your tweet, you know, or your post or whatever you're doing on social media. But you know what, when you're walking into a grocery store, Right. Or you're going to go eat in the restaurant right prior to COVID. You know, you're you're bound to come across someone. And I sure did many times. Um, so I, I, I would tef- definitely agree with the with the with the, the point that is local is so important. And you see that you do see that in the amount of people running, the amount of effort, attention running. And me, I just I've always loved politics. So I just really I really like seeing a lot of interest. but Definitely, you have more more impact there than you do uh, federally. At least you, as an individual, would. Yeah, I, I would like like everything you're saying. I agree with uh, Commissioner Mars. It's it's just one of those situations where I don't feel like the public is either choosing to be educated on the subject or they just don't. Yeah. They, they, you know, they're just focused so much on the the federal system because right. Well, the news only shows the federal system. There's no really like news station that really is dedicated strictly to uh, local politics, except like maybe some local um, local stations. Sometimes I know the city of Austin has one. Like I I'm, I live in Austin, so Austin City has some stuff that they put up on the local the local TV, and you can see that. Same with when the state when the Texas House goes into session this and then the Senate goes into session this upcoming January, they're going to have some things and some locations where they're going to show what's going on depending on like what commission they're working on whether it's ways and means and so on and so forth they'll show some of that stuff because they want the public to to witness like hey we're actually doing something we're not just twiddling our thumbs though 
I would make the argument that there are some out there that are just twiddling their thumbs and they're just there for, oh, I'm a representative. Oh, I, you know, but it's like people like you, Commissioner Mars, you're really on the ground doing things that are affecting people's lives immediately. Big impact right now in, in that situation. So I guess my question would be is, is that, you know, we're, we've been kind of touching on it a little bit here, but local politics. Why is it important? What are some of the changes that you can do as a commissioner or other local politicians can do that really affect change in the immediacy? Well, I, th I think overall the change in, you know, and, and I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think, you know, podcasts and different shows that are that can be local based or talk at least talk about local issues can really spur a lot of growth and attention. I mean, that's why when I first ran for city council back when I was a college student, and right after that, I said, well, how can I really get involved? And I want to focus on local, right? Because I knew it back then. And I don't think anything has changed that, you know, the media, even local media, it's hard for them to get not get caught up on state or national, international news, but tend to many times not really see what's going locally or there's so much going on locally. And so, you know, I think, you know, that has, you know, that continues in me through this day, you know, for me as an elected official, the way I see it is, you know, we have to have, uh, make a lot of effort for like community outreach, right? A lot of effort to, to try to educate, to try just to battle every distraction that's out there. And, and distractions, I mean, you know, could be something good, but also obviously something bad, but you know, it, you know, how can you get a hold of people through social media? I mean, that's a really big deal for me uh, as to try to be connected to the constituency uh, through social media. Um, I do live broadcasts with my constituents. I do live broadcasts on the talk show that I still produce and host uh, here at home um, just to, to be able to talk about a variety of issues and get people informed and people talking about it. And, and I'll share with you one story. You know, um, you know I, I do a lot of Facebook um, posts. I mean, I do Twitter also, but those are my two main uh, social media sites. But I did Facebook and I have... A commissioner page where I try to put stuff updated, a little political, but also just kind of day-to-day -day stuff I do as a commissioner. And one day, I shared one article about our our county animal services, and it was around this. I think it was around this time, maybe two years ago, I think. And we had some 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 dogs that were unfortunately right. You you have to there has to be a decision to make that. You know, you can only keep them so long and they have to be destroyed. Right. Well, I shared I shared this post, right, that that our county's uh, uh, social media people did for the for the animal shelter, for our county animal shelter. And I shared it. And oh, my gosh, like I've never had anything go viral for me. I would consider it viral. It, like it had a hundred thousand, you know, likes or hearts oh, wow. or whatever on those. And like. 500 or a thousand shares it was just crazy and it was people all over because you know obviously people care a lot about their animals and you know they want to do everything they can to to you know take care of those those you know little lives that can bring so much joy to families right and so it just it was crazy but it shows that i think social media is a way to do it and that's something that i really try to do you know it's to try to educate because we got to just engage and compete with every other distraction that's out there that, that holds people's attention. And so for me, that's how I try to get people engaged and involved in politics, or at least somewhat informed on what we're doing. Uh, obviously, you know, it's political. You know, I want people to know that I'm doing work for them. But two, I think we owe it to ourselves. If we, if we expect our country 
to to be able to to strive and to be able to succeed, it's got to be because we have people who are engaged, and it's got to start at the low, local level, right? All politics is local, right? As as the saying goes. Mm-hmm. So I think that you know we as elected officials and just anybody who's vested in the community has to make every attempt to try just to promote issues and and services that are out there and events that are out there so people will understand that yes government is a challenge government can be bad because of the decisions that are made but in the end it's it's what we make of it and if people are complaining about why government is being run a certain way well take investment in the fact that you can control that every time there's an election that comes up yeah and i think you're hitting the nail on the head uh, commissioner mars where it's like look it really didn't shouldn't matter about party lines per se when it comes to local policies as phil has mentioned it should matter about do, does this person who is running for this specific office at the local level care about the people and providing good policy changes that the people actually right. want? I mean, that's what it comes down to, really. I think when you get at the national level or even at the state level, politics, you know, political party association, I feel like does matter a little bit. Um, definitely on the federal level, for sure. I don't think that's ever going to go away. But when you're really looking at local political situations, it's like, like I, I have told, I, I have said on the podcast before. I'm a libertarian conservative. That's kind of where I'm at in my you know situation. I'm a registered Republican, but it's like I'm never going to not vote for someone locally who's a Democrat just because they have a D next to their name. I'm going to look at their right. policy. I'm going to look right. at what they're saying, and if they right. actually have good ideas that I support, why should I not vote for that person at the local election? I don't think there's a wrong situation with that. I agree. Say, I... I was just going to say, I also think it's important that with local elections – You've got a, uh, a humanization part of it, as in I feel a lot of people who have a, a bone to grind with the government, it's largely because the government as an amorphous mass isn't human. It's, it's it's an institution that is easy to hate. But as soon as you put a person's face on it and someone who you can tell could easily be your neighbor, I think that helps a lot as well. And that's why I think the social media is so good. And I think uh, that's one of the key to success as uh, for uh, Commissioner Myers is that He's able to show people, look, I'm a regular guy, you know, <laughs> I, I have the same, I, I got into this because of, um, I was, I felt I could do better, but I am a person, I have the same issues that a lot of people have, and I feel that that is the key to local elections, is as soon as you make local elections look like they are about, you know, everyday people who are living in your community, I think that's so important where federal, by the time it gets to the federal level, it's so far removed from your neighbor that I, I feel that it gets to the point where political labels become a bit more a large part of it because you don't know them personally so you're making all sorts of assumptions about them just because of the letter they have next to them where in local elections as you as you were saying mike you can look someone up and you're actually to be fair no i agree with you on that i agree with him on that on that one it might be okay i sort of agree and on that one maybe not but the fact is that there's a human's face there. It's a lot easier, I think, to appreciate local uh, local uh, politicians and elections because there is a lot more of a, a humanistic side to it. And, and I'd like to say on that that I think that I think nowadays, especially as, as you know, the younger generation comes into voting age, that I think the labels are very important for many people. I, I think they they help, especially if. If all things are equal or, you know, maybe work your way down the ballot and maybe don't know the people, you know, lower on the ballot than you would at least know some issues as a, they are higher on a ballot. But uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of crossover now. I think that there's a lot of people who identify maybe with a party, but 
they are still willing to look at, you know, a candidate on the other side because they maybe know of their work or have, you know, realized that maybe that they've been there and, and, and advocating for the community or, or a certain issue. And I think I, I had that in this last election just a few weeks ago. I had 63% of the vote, which our county, uh, you know, uh, voted uh, majority voted for Donald Trump. And so if you would expect as a Republican that those numbers should stay the same, yet for me as a Democrat, I, I was a total opposite. In fact, even, you know, almost a super majority of votes. And so I think that people, they're looking for, for people, for candidates who overall, like you said, uh, feel can uh, they can relate to kind of an every, everyday person. But I think it, it, it does humanize and it also connects you to the community and just realizing that once again, this is the person who has probably the greatest influence on me is just someone who's working at the courthouse or who's working at city hall or at a school board or something like that, that their, their issues impact me on a more regular basis than most that can happen out of Austin or Washington, DC. You know, let's get, let's get to that impact. Um, I know Phil, did you want to say something too? Additional? I was just going to make a very quick comment about pretty much exactly as evidence of what we just said, but in England, I was going to say, Boris Johnson's, uh, before he was Prime Minister, when he was Mayor of London, um, there was, I think, off the top of my, I think it was 2014, but I, I could be wrong. It was a year where the, the ruling Conservative Party got absolutely hammered in the elections. Um, but the, 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 the weird thing is London, which, I mean, being a major city, is, tends to vote more left. So Boris Johnson somehow pulled out this landslide victory. And everybody at the time was saying how weird that was in the fact that the Conservatives nationally did badly. But all of a sudden, Boris Johnson, uh, of all um, and in all places, London, it'd be the equivalent of, as Austin or something, uh, uh, getting a Republican uh, mayor. And to people, uh, but it largely boiled down to the idea that Boris Johnson was seen as more, mod. I mean, he was a, a more moderate, more human. People found him more relatable because he was, um, he did a lot of stuff in, that was unorthodox in the uh, in the press. I mean, zip lining through the city. Uh, with his waving his Union Jacks was the, probably the famous one, but he, he was just seen as somebody who was a bit human, and I think and a lot of people said that that was why Boris Johnson was able to win. Is people were prepared to overlook his political label and say, "Well, I don't like his party, but he himself, as a mayor of London, it was also his re-election campaign, so he has done a good job at running London. So I'm going to ignore the fact that he has a conservative symbol next to his name." And I might vote for Labour in the in the general election, but I'll I'll vote for Boris Johnson to continue running London the way he is there. So that was just kind of a an example I was going to pull. No, I think that's a good example, Phil. And I, and I just wanted to touch on um, Commissioner Mares's um, point about the impact of local politics. I think a good example would be actually what recently happened. I think in twenty nineteen, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's district up in, uh, I believe, in New York. The city council of that district actually rejected Amazon from building there. That was not Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or any of the other representatives that represented that area of the district. It was the local city council. And that is super important because when you're looking at these types of things, you have to understand the city council is making a lot of the decisions that when it comes to what companies do come here, what companies don't, what deals are made, what subsidies are given out, where is the funding going, how is the police, you know, 
There's been the movement for defund the police or reallocation of resources. There's been stuff like that that have been gone through the channels of politics, you know, in late 2019, early into this, you know, into this 2020 year. And, you know, Commissioner Mars, I'm sure you have seen this yourself in Corpus Christi, where that city probably has a very um, impactful city council dealing with different situations and dealing with how do we fund what or who, what business comes here or you know, how do we give our citizens the best opportunity? No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I mean, we have, you know, we have a lot of growth because we're oil and gas, right? We have right. a big influence of that. Our, our port, the port of Corpus Christi, uh, tonnage-wise, is one of the top four tonnage-wise ports in the country. And uh, we are the largest exporter of uh, oil. And so that started a few years ago. Um, and so that continues. And so that that has been a big part of, I know, the city, especially when I was on there and now even off of that, that, yes, you're right, you know, economic incentives and different types of abatements that can be given to uh, entice companies to stay or to move. Uh, that, that becomes a competition that is locally based, uh, no matter what state you are in, because, you know, all the states may have different laws or rules that apply to cities or counties. But you know, you are having local government who is having a big impact on uh, perhaps, like you said, uh, Bill, you know, like Amazon or someone like that, that you know, has a chance to move into your community. You look at uh, Travis County, right, in uh, the surrounding counties, Williamson and others. And you look at all these other huge companies that are wanting to, to move there or have, you know, made plans already to move. And, and so it's that local component. It's that that decision by the community and by the elected officials is, hey, do we want to invest or what do we want to put up uh, to entice these companies? Because it's become, uh, you know, competition all around, whereas before a lot of them were just locked in and stayed at their um, at their location. Uh, case in point, Corpus Christi uh, was a home of Whataburger. And so that's a big deal. And in South Texas and most of Texas, it's a big burger chain that yep. you know, is slowly growing throughout the southern part of the country, especially. And well, that was in Corpus Christi. That was actually in my district when I was on city council. And they uh, they moved. They moved to San Antonio, which now they subsequently were bought by a Chicago firm, I think moved to the, uh, the Dallas area or maybe even up to Chicago now. But they, they you know, that there's all corporations now that I think sky's the limit in where they want to move to better access for quality of life or transportation, whether it was, you know, just uh, air flights or being a little bit closer to bigger city hubs, that these are all being taken in and considered by local government. And so people, if they're, you're not investing your, you know, your time at least and your energies into local government, you, you better because uh, big changes are being made, whether you like them or not. Exactly. And then you touched on Whataburger. Just going to say this for all the people out there. Whataburger is better than In-N-Out. You cannot convince me otherwise. Yes. Don't. I don't, I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear anyone telling me that In-N-Out is better and you come to Texas and it, say that to me. Don't you dare. It's internationally right. sanctioned, Micah. Oh, it is internationally <laughs> sanctioned now? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I came coming as a as a foreigner. I can also join Team Texas on that. Um, In-N-Out is vastly overrated. Thank you. Thank you. Their french fries are like cardboard. Oh. Oh, it just exactly. makes my throat so uh, so dry. Sorry, in and out. I don't think you're ever going to sponsor this podcast, anyways. I'd want Waterburger before you. So we could have a whole debate on in and out because I could rant about them all day. <laughs> <laughs> but like the stuff that you're talking about, Commissioner Mara, is, is just right on right on the dot. And I think that 
if people really want to improve their livelihoods, they should look at the people that they're electing at the local level. You know, and since you're t- talking about Nueces County and the energy sector, um, even though this is a we're focusing on local politics here, one of the big things that happened in this election for the general election, the with the president, the presidential race, people were saying, "Oh, Texas is going to go blue." There's a you know blue wave that's coming. A lot of people have been moving in from California, New York, and some other West Coast um, and northern areas. And one of the things that some political scientists have said, stated recently that I have heard is that what Biden said about fracking up in, I believe it was Pennsylvania at the time, really lost him the opportunity for a blue wave in Texas. Would you agree with that? Or do you think there was never even a blue wave at all that really would have happened and swung the state blue for the presidency? I think there, are, there could have been. I, think, I definitely think there could have been. I think that was a big change. I think that was a big swing for a lot of people. Uh, I know a lot of uh, family or friends who are connected to that. Obviously, that's a big important part of Noises County's economy. But I, I personally, I cringed when I heard that say, I, you know, being a Democrat and, 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 and that, was who, you know, that was who my candidate was. And when I heard that, I said, oh, to myself, I said, that's it. He just, he just gave away Texas if there was any chance. You know, you look at Beto O'Rourke in 2018 and, you know, he made I mean, he got within single digits mm-hmm. uh, of, of you know, almost beating an incumbent senator, which is almost unheard of, especially in Texas. And so, I mean, that there was definitely momentum. But when that happened, I think that that really hurt uh, Democrats' chances of winning. And and then there are a whole a lot of a slew of other issues I think that that hurt the Democrats that they just got attached to. Uh, you know, the, the issue of defunding police, whether they embrace that terminology or feel that it should be you know, just some sort of reform that stuck. And so there was a lot of other issues. But I think, yeah, once once they talked about, once Biden mentioned the issue of the, the, the fracking, um, yeah, I figured it was, it was probably going to be over by then. Yeah, so I'm going to put you on the spot there. It, I understand this is a very controversial topic, but it is a topic that's been going around politics recently is the defund the police message. And when people are hearing the defund the police message, there's a lot of, uh, how would I put it? There's a lot of texture that goes into that statement, if that makes sense. There's a lot of like loaded stuff. And as a libertarian conservative, I don't support that statement per se. But I have heard arguments from other people that are basically saying, oh, it's reallocating of resources. That's not what we mean. But then I've seen locations where like they're actually defunding the police. I would – there's a local um, guy who ran in Austin. His name is Justin Berry. I supported him in the election. I voted for him. Great Republican. I really liked his policies. And he didn't. And he was a police officer. And I would totally support him. I don't think we should defund the police. I think we should do what Joe Rogan said of saying, hey, I think we should actually increase funding to the police and actually increase training apparatuses and change things up to actually make the police force an effective police. But at the same time, I think we also need to invest in social work. I'm not going to just say nothing about social work. I think that there is a point that needs to be done because you're seeing massive amounts of homeless crisis in homelessness crisis in the city of Austin. I don't know if that's happening in Corpus Christi or in Oasis County, but I have seen that and I think there needs to be something done with that situation. So my question is, is basically, what is your opinion on the defund the police message? And what do you think is best for Oasis County going forward and within Corpus Christi on dealing with, you know, that rhetoric, but also like, how do we improve police relations within communities? Well, we're very fortunate. I think we have a very proactive police department here in Corpus Christi and in all of our communities in the county that are very, uh, very much
much about community policing. I think they're very vested in wanting to establish and maintain relationships that they have. And you know, we have had some shootings that, you know, in other big cities could definitely be taken that they were uh, dealt specifically because it was a, a racial uh, issue that had come up. But, you know, for, for us, I, I think it's it's about showing, because, you know, even though we're a city of 300,000 plus, you know, we would consider ourselves, I guess, a mid-size compared to others. Uh, you know, we and we have big city problems. We are a big city, but, you know, not as big as, say, you would find in the Houston or Dallas or Austin area or somewhere like that, Los Angeles. So when people talk about defunding, I think, you know, I agree. We should not defund, right? I think we definitely need to fund more. I mean, if the issue, if there's an issue there that it's about wanting to take away funding, you know, Maybe that language, and I can't speak for whoever created that term, but maybe it's the language is used to, to, to spark attention and outrage, regardless of where that outrage is, so that people want to talk more about it. And obviously, it's been a topic that's important to so many people on either side of it, right? People in the minority communities that feel that they are being specifically targeted, those who, who feel that, that law enforcement's already a tough enough job and we're going to you know, figuratively, literally handcuff them to be able to respond when they feel their lives are in danger. I would say I would hate to see funding of any kind of essential service, especially like that, taken away. Um, can you put reform in? Yes, I think reform includes additional money. I think, uh, like you said, social workers. I worked with social workers for a, a good portion of my professional career before becoming um, a commissioner. I, I worked with social workers. And they, uh, you know, I think they, they can be a very much an essential part of dealing with law enforcement. I don't like the term. I don't believe in taking away money. I have a lot of family and friends who are in law enforcement, and I would hate to see that anything would be taken away from them to be able to respond on our behalf to protect us. But I do think that we need to have a conversation beyond the, the rhetoric, right? Yes, beyond absolutely. And I don't, want to, I don't want to say that lives that are being lost and, you know, are, are people being treated because they're African-American or another minority a little bit harsher than, say, you would find of another race? I think that there is some of that. Right. But do we throw everything out to say, OK, let's just take away more funding? I, I don't. And, and same can be said for me on um, education. You know, I have a very strong concern about, you know, education has been defunded for many years, right? It, there's been less and less funding that's put there. Now you can say, well, there's more options now, we have more private school options or charter school options. But on the public school component, there's been a lot of funding that's been taken away. So I think that shows that it, it doesn't work. And so I think people who politically would side with, hey, we want to see more money put in public education. Why would they say the same thing about public law enforcement, right? Why would they say, let's take away funding from that? I just, I don't think that that argument makes. I, I agree and see strongly that it should be reform and it should be a community coming together and people that are that are abusing their power or taking life should be held accountable, right? But, you know, there's also state laws that need to be changed because, you know, officers that are getting, you know, exonerated or not even, you know, no bill before grand jury because of the way the state laws are written. So there's some reform that needs to be taken there at the state level as well before that really impacts kind of the local. But I, I would never say defund, and I, I don't believe in that at all. I think that we should, you know, maintain or even put even more funding into it uh, because, you know, when, when we need 
you know, those men and women who are brave enough to, to answer the call of, of, of being law enforcement and they're not there, then what? You know, we will have anarchy and, 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 and we won't have safe streets or safe cities. And it just becomes uh, more of a problem. And I, I hear people, I see it, I walk in marches that, that for Black Lives Matter uh, and to show that, hey, I understand what their concern was. Police chief was there, sheriff was there. You know, so it's not like here in Corpus Christi and Oasis County that we find a big disconnect that you do in other communities. Thankful for that. But it's an issue that we all have to face, and it's an issue that we all need to come to grips with and have honest conversations about and try to find some real solutions rather than allow any rhetoric tear us one way or the other. Yeah, I think the rhetoric portion is very difficult because you have two things going on with the Black Lives Matter movement. It's like when you say Black Lives Matter, it's like, of course, everyone's going to say that, you know, unless they're a far like racist person. You know what I mean? Like if they're extreme, like an extremist. So everyone agrees that Black Lives Matter, okay, and then you go forward, and okay, look, let's look at the organization and what they do, and it's like, for me as a, a libertarian conservative, it's like, I don't really support the organization per se, because I don't, there's a couple things on their statements that I just don't agree with, but like you said, there's a bunch of people who marched, a lot of people who I knew that are conservatives that went out there and talked with people and said, hey, look, I understand what you're talking about, it, show me, show me the evidence, show me what's going on, and let's see if we can fix the situation. And I think, that, again, that happens at the local level yes it happens also at the state level and the federal level there's certain things that that can be done but it is the local level that gets gets it done i think more often than not i think if you're looking at funding the police more yes you can get that done at the state level like where they're you know for budgeting and stuff but if you're looking at like the way the cities are run i mean look at austin austin has it funds its police and it actually defunded its police to a certain degree and you're seeing an increase in crime um in in the city of austin right now and that's not good I mean, that's not a healthy situation. So I think, you know, there's certain things I agree and disagree with. But at the same time, it's like I think what we can agree on right here right now is that, look, local level politics are important. You shouldn't defund the police. What you should do is you should say, okay, what are the issues that are happening that we should probably reform and fix and then actually fund the police a little bit more? I mean, that used to be a progressive policy, was it not? I mean, you like you were talking about with education, progressivism and in, Dem- in, in the Democratic Party was always about funding more social institutions to better the society right. as a whole. That was the idea right. of de- 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 the Democratic Party and progressivism. But yet this situation completely goes against that. It actually favors a more libertarian approach of saying, oh, you know, like, like let's fund stuff less. But then again, I would say libertarians yeah. are also in this situation where they're like, oh, but we also recognize the government should fund protection and national security sure. and stuff. So they would say, no, fund the police more. So that's a situation where we sure. would say that but that's just an example of what i was getting at so oh yeah but um again it just kind of shows how important humanization is uh, i mean it's especially when at the moment it's hyper politicized as soon as you say black lives matter and everyone has a different opinion of what you just said uh, yeah. and I, I think the problem is that and that's what's good about local politics again just bring it right back okay look let's not Base our opinions purely off political, highly politicized um, slogans, and look at the people as people first. And as soon as we can see beyond the label and see into the person, I think there's a lot more understand, a lot more ground for understanding. And I think a lot of people find a lot more agreement than they may have initially expected. Um, as as you said, Micah, I think, but I think every most ordinary people can agree. With the principle of Black Lives Matter, but the problem is that, as I said, that term has become so loaded with all sorts of extra bits that nobody can agree on what is added to that. 
and, uh, and yeah, and I think that's what's good about locals. It brings it right back down. Yeah, and again, like I'll say it again. It's like I don't support the like the the organization Black Lives Matter, but I support the idea of saying, "Hey, look, we need reforms. Black lives right. do matter. Like, like we need to get it to the point where look." Like, as a Christian, as I would always say in this aspect, because I am a, re- a religious person, it's like God created us all equally in his eyes. And it's like we need to treat each other with respect, treat each other with love, even if we disagree with each other. Treat your neighbor as yourself and as you would yourself. And it's just like in this situation that we're, we're witnessing right now, it's like there's been a couple cases where it's like been like, OK, like the George Floyd situation. It's like that's clearly something's wrong there. Clearly something needs to be done to reform that situation. So that stuff does not happen. But it's like, how do we get to that point and get past all the vitriol and some of these extremist groups that are basically handicapping the term Black Lives Matter or taking it on and basically saying, okay, this is what it actually means and then attaching defund the police with it and like all this other stuff when it's all in the the day is just saying, look, black people matter in America, period, as they should, just as everyone should in this country. Everything should be, everyone should be seen equal under the Constitution. That's just plain and simple. Um, and I think that's where it needs to be, but it's not there right now. And hopefully at the local level with like you were suggesting commissioner Mares, is basically we have these conversations more and we look at like how we can help the police and help our communities overall in, in one step. Sure. No, I agree. Um, I agree. Yeah. So I was going to say another thing that we could talk about as well. well I think we not could should talk about is the COVID-19 situation. <laughs> and Texas has been different compared to other states. Um, California, New York, and some of those northeastern states have favored more, and Michigan have favored more lockdown situations. Where Texas, we had a little bit of a lockdown early on. I know back in March when this really hit, and and in April, I believe. But now we've kind of gone to a point where, look, we still have, I think we still have a mask mandate that's going on. And I think that there there, there are restrictions, but it's like people are going to school. Like my, I, I know, um, like my parents are working, they're, they're teachers, you know, they do school work and stuff like that. So, I mean, in Nueces County, how has the COVID situation been and how have you responded um, as the commissioner down, as one of the commissioners down there? Well, um, we had it pretty bad. We were one of the worst states or we were one of the worst counties in the state and even nationally uh, at some points during our peak uh, over the summer mm-hmm. uh, that it, it just hit us hard. And it, I'm sure there'll be a postmortem that will be done on this, you know, one day. Uh, the, the, a big argument that many people were making was a access to the beach, right? So we have uh, North Padre Island, right? South Padre Island is down near Brownsville. We have North Padre Island, we have Port Aransas and Mustang Island. So we have those three areas in our county. And so we were like one of the only beaches at the moment during the summer that were open that people had access to. I literally heard of people who had friends or family who lived like in the Dallas area that were calling them up and saying, hey, are the beaches still open? Because we want to go to the beach. And so, you know, I know at least a handful of cases just through a couple of people I spoke with that people were traveling a long distance to come to our beach. So there was a lot of argument, a lot of debate on whether having their beaches open uh, was increasing our numbers here locally where people bringing in, you know, these, these, these asymptomatic people into the community. And then from there, we really saw our numbers skyrocket. Uh, it could have, it could have been coincidence. We, we don't know, like I said, until someone does a study or truly looks at those numbers one day and maybe kind of 
traces all of that. But, you know, that that was a big issue uh, for Nueces County. And so we were hit hard. Thankfully, right now, our numbers are relatively low compared to other parts of the state. But they are increasing like everyone else. We're not the hotspots that we see right now currently, like in El Paso or in the Valley. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we, we had a we had a horrible time with it. And in our our county judge, uh, you know, once again, not putting it into politics, but, you know, a Democrat, but was following what the president and what, the, you know, Governor Abbott were saying at the time and was following those guidelines to the T. So um, it wasn't, you know, we weren't into kind of the, the partisanship that you found in, in other cities. Um, our court and our judge were making the orders that, that were trying to be responsible and, and protective, but also trying to find the balance of, you know, keeping beaches open because the Texas General Land Office was saying that they could still be open. And so there, a lot of that was going on and, and could potentially happen again. But because I think the weather, there's not as many people going out. Although, like I said earlier, I think people still may be going out to the beach today because there's a perfect sun out. But um, we we responded like everyone else. Right. I think everyone was not prepared. Right. We're all throughout the country for this. Uh, and government was tasked with having to respond, but I think we've we've slowly developed a good relationship with our you know with our hospitals, with our hospital district, which the county maintains for our indigent services, which we are required by law to provide uh, health care for. Um, all of that combined now, I think, has a great plan in place. But it took us, you know, the good part of almost a year now to get that together. We have a auxiliary hospital now where we send kind of almost like a COVID clinic where uh, once people have been stabilized and don't no, no longer need an ICU bed, they can be sent to our COVID clinic, which is a, a um, which was a, a hospital that was still in, sh- in shell form available, but uh, we fixed it up because of COVID. Those patients go there now so that the ICU beds that are maybe needed for the new COVID cases or for actual other emergencies, acute emergencies that come up are available for those people. So because we were getting this log jam like so many other communities with everyone getting stuffed into the ICU beds because it was such a severe uh, issue to deal with. And they were still learning all the processes about it that we really got caught off guard by that. But I think we have a much better plan in place in our county did, dealt with it like most other counties. But I think we have we now have it to where, you know, we've all kind of been battle tested. And, you know, we're, we're following, once again, what the, what the governor is saying, uh, trying to maintain keeping business open, right, keep the economy going, people from going so stir crazy outside, you know, being inside and closed all day, but also, you know, finding that you have to have a mix, right, because people are just fatigued from having to respond to this, wearing a mask, being isolated, people, we need our interaction. And so that's become a fine line that the, that the judge here and, and of course us as a court have been trying to to find and I think maintaining for a while but as they're saying the numbers are going up again because of the holidays and and we're seeing that happen on our daily rates you know they're increasing every day but compared to other communities our numbers are much better and nowhere we're not the leader in the state or in the nation as we were uh, for a couple of times there uh, during the summer yeah I think the COVID situation has been I mean we haven't seen something like this since the Spanish flu I mean, let's be honest about it. You know, this is something that is affecting every every nation right now and us a little bit more harder than others. Um, even though that's the case, even the countries that did um, big lockdowns over in Europe are seeing massive spikes again. 
They're seeing increases in COVID cases. So it'll be interesting to see what scientists and researchers are able to find out, like why is this happening specifically, looking at the spreads and all that stuff. And hopefully next time this something like this does happen down in the future with something that is just as contagious and hope, you know, and you, you know, in this like a situation that's similar to ours, you hope that they can use history to judge, okay, what decisions do we make here that worked in the past and what didn't work? You know, that's what I hope happens um, in, in that situation. And, and I know over in England, Phil, you've guys had a bunch of lockdowns and stuff going on. How's that been going for you? So, yeah, so we went into a lockdown pretty much the same time as you. I think the world basically had a lockdown in um, March, April, May, that, that sort of time. We then went into a time where it was a tier system. So in the areas which had less coronavirus cases were afforded more um, flexibility in how to deal with it, whereas the places where it was pretty high largely stayed in lockdown. And we kept up that system until November. And in November, it just, as, as you mentioned, it went through a massive spike. And in the end, the government decided, look, we need another national lockdown. Uh, the rate of infection is getting to the point where our health healthcare system is is potentially going to start struggling. So we did a massive lock, second lockdown in November. The main difference is that lockdown two, there were more. It was less. It was less strict in that education, for example, was allowed to continue. You were still allowed to go to school. Um, the exception being that each year group counted as a bubble so the idea was that everybody in each year never comes into contact with another uh, year group and if one person in the year group gets coronavirus the whole year group stays home so it was a lot of disruption but largely the main difference between the november lockdown is that education was continued because that was the main argument against the lockdown in the first place was look at think of the educational damage i mean we as have a system as in most of the west does in that we Education is almost a factory and that, you know, you have exams at the set times of the year and everybody gets out and everyone gets a qualification. And basically it was disrupting that. And because of that, they said in November, we've got to allow some sort of continuation of school. Yeah, and there's another thing, Anyways. too, that's been, yeah, yeah. And I think there's another thing, too, that's been worrying is, I don't know if you've been seeing this, Phil, but Commissioner Mars, I'm sure you've been trying to keep up in touch with this type of stuff, but deaths of despair. I mean, we've seen a lot of people more people committing suicide this year and having, you know, admitting themselves for mental health issues. I mean, as a local commissioner, how do you help out people who are going through these types of processes and the increasing amounts of suicide we're seeing across the nation? I don't know how that's affected Nueces County, but I mean, what can local officials do to assist these issues? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's horrible that, that there have been, you know, an increase and uptick of, of people taking their lives and it, and once again, I think it goes back to trying to find that balance of people need interaction, right? Well, we're social beings, and it's not ever good for anyone to be just isolated. They need some connection to the outside world. And so, yeah, we have seen that. Um, it's it's not anything that we've really have, have tackled, you know, directly, I don't think. I mean, just trying to juggle, just keeping our head above the water, dealing with the response. Uh, I know one of our local state representatives has really made an issue working and dealing with um, uh, suicide, especially teenage suicide prior to this. But I know that that has kind of delved into uh, more attention and focus on that. But you're absolutely right. I mean, it's just uh, this 
this has hit, hit people in so many different ways. And you hear the argument, well, you know, COVID's bad, but, you know, well, there's not as many uh, heart attacks or strokes. And I'm just kind of making that up, but people are kind of making that making that comparison. And it's uh, th- that may be correct. I don't know the numbers exactly, but I know for sure that there are many more people who may have already had issues, you know, dealing with just overall mental health and needing support who are not getting it. Or this has really spurred more uh, of a need for people who prior to this probably didn't have any issues. I remember my wife and I even talking and saying, well, you know, you kind of feel like you're in a fog, right? You kind of feel like it's just kind of surreal in that it just, you know, you're in your same routine every day and you don't get to really kind of get out and go or do anything. And that 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 has a big impact on, on people. And so, yeah, our county, you know, like I think all the rest are really being hit hard by this and it's you know it's something that you know i love seeing people on social media sharing hey you know if you need help please call this number or people who are reaching out to others who maybe traditionally haven't with phone calls or other methods and i think we need to do that i think we need to you know regain our our our, our composure as a community you know and, and as just as people and humanity and uh show our care for other people by reaching out and letting them know that hey we're all facing the same thing and we'll all get through it together you know, another thing I want to talk about, too, that kind of touches on this, I don't want to always talk about the doom and gloom stuff, but I do think it's important to talk about these situations specifically in the local politics. But before we get to the more, you know, happy stuff and more cool type of stuff that really entices people's attention with, like, innovations and other things that local politics go through, but one of the things, too, is stimulus. So I am disgusted, personally, that both Republicans and Democrats at the Senate and just the overall congressional level, have not been able to pass stimulus for millions of Americans who have lost their businesses at no fault to their own. And for some of those businesses, they might have, you know, there's been arguments that I've heard. I was I was listening to the podcast, The Realignment with Sager and Marshall. And one of they had someone on who I believe is a professor at Princeton, I think, if I can't remember, but he was a professor who looks at these situations and he says, well, some of these businesses, they should have, you know, they, they were never prepared for something like this and they were already going out of the business and, you know, the stimulus wouldn't have even have helped them. And some of them have kept this, and some of these companies kept stimulus for their own personal pockets. And he was suggesting that you should have just given stimulus to um, the people that are the workers. And I think you, I think he has a point and I think that you should give, you should have given more stimulus money to people who lost their their jobs and stuff like that because I don't think it's I, I am a deficit hawk but a, this is not the time to be a deficit hawk this is the time to actually help your community and help the citizens of your nation I mean this none of this is like I would say like 95% of the people who are losing their jobs and losing their businesses is due because of COVID and it's just disgusts me to see people on Capitol Hill not help out their citizens and I mean, I, I want Phil to talk about, you know, I don't know if you, what's been going on over in Great Britain, but for, before I get to Phil, Commissioner Mars, at the local level, how have you been helping businesses and how have you been helping people who are losing their jobs and having this economic downturn right now, which I think also is affecting the the suicide rate and depression rates? So for for us as a county, and, and that kind of goes back to the, the, the powers that are given to cities and counties here in Texas, at least. So some of the states, the way the federal funding was was created and written into law was uh, counties of a certain size uh, were able to get the direct funding 
and be able to respond. I think the magic number was maybe 500,000 uh, residents or greater. I mentioned earlier, uh, City of Corpus Christi is 300 and something thousand, 303. And our county right now, before the new census comes out, we're at 360. So we're below that threshold. So actually, the funding we got had to come directly from the state. And a big portion of it was given actually to the City of Corpus Christi. So they were able to do a lot of uh, economic development. We were given money as well, uh, but not like you would find, say, in a, in a Harris County or a Dallas uh, El Paso and other, you know, large sized counties like that. Right. So that kind of impacted some of the economic development we were able to do. The money we did give, did, we did receive, we gave to some of our smaller communities uh, in the county that uh, don't, that were not given money uh, like, say, a city of Corpus Christi would because of their size. So we did give money that dealt with, um, you know, economic stimulus development that went directly to the cities for them to, uh, basically expand on and provide to their to their local uh, business base so but you know that's that's been a big challenge is, is you know local local government it's it's having to try to be uh, innovative with all of this and i know locally there was a lot of uh, money that was put for small businesses to be able to apply for and to be able to receive funding through uh, through the cares act and so that i think had a big difference than if we didn't have the money at all. And I agree, this is not the time to, we do need to always maintain, try to maintain a proper budget because you know, our deficit you know, federally is, is obviously out of hand. But we, you know, when something like this, where it impacts every level of government, you know, from top down, but we feel it, right? We see it because we're hands-on, we're right there living it every day. That's been the struggle. But I know that the programs we have here locally have made differences in keeping, maintaining businesses open. I have some favorite restaurants that I used to love to go to that, um, you know, that haven't opened or probably never will because they were just hit too hard. And even with it, with stimulus money was not enough to help them maintain, you know, paying their monthly rent, you know, every month and, and all the other um, requirements that they have to, you know, maintain and keep a business open. So that's been a struggle for many businesses here in Oasis County and it's it's heartbreaking because you see people's dreams they're just being crushed uh because right. they, they can't they can't maintain this level or uh, lack of level of, of of normal business that they would get you know from customers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I know Phil o- over there in Great Britain it's kind of been the same situation right I mean there's a lot of the issues are happening where there's been a lot of increasing in lockdowns but has great has the UK really passed any stimulus packages as well, or do, that you know of? Yes. So, what the, what happened in the UK is so the government has basically passed legislation that says that um, in any lockdown, if you can't work because you know you require you you would need to go and do your work, the government pays you eighty percent of your um, wages. And it says that the last 20% is for the company to pay. And largely that's how, so in essence, they're paying people to stay at home, which mostly all the main parties are all in agreement saying, you know, these are not normal times. Yes, it's going to be really expensive. But I mean, as you were kind of saying earlier, Michael, you know, there's, there is a time for fiscal responsibility. But right now people need you know, money to pay for simple commodities and now's the time where you know you you need to help out and that's largely what has happened 
mostly, as I said, all the political part, the important ones have agreed with that. There is the Reform Party on the far, not far right, but more right than the Conservative Party. I, I would say maybe more like the, uh, we don't have a Republican Party like you, but if we did, it'd be there. And they're obviously advocating, no, it's too expensive. Just let people go out and do their jobs as normal. Um, but yeah, largely, yeah, there's a policy of 80% um, plus of 20% topped off by the companies. The idea being that 20% is more affordable for companies to pay uh, and 80%, well, the, the government is in essence taking a step forward to it, saying that if, if your income is guaranteed and that you're getting money regardless, you know, 80 that's from the government, 20 from the company, you can afford to stay home. That is, that is and that's why the, the first lockdown was actually quite really successful, is largely people responded by actually staying home and they were able to with this uh, this money the government provided the second lockdown was successful overall in bringing down the number the problem was that there was a lot more people who were basically looking across the atlantic and uh, looking at the american model and saying oh we don't want to stay home uh, we want to uh, go out as well and so um, the second lockdown wasn't as successful but yeah largely the government has kept to this policy of um, if you need to stay home we will pay you enough money to you don't have to worry about media income right 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 yeah and commissioner mares um one of the things i, I want to talk to you about you now now we've kind of gone through some of the doom and gloom stuff but again it's important to go through those things because it is important to look at local politics in that manner because crises is what molds and shapes of is this a successful local government or not? And then the voters can decide and, you know, going through that experience, like whether it was or not. But I do want to get to some, I think, fun stuff or something that I think would be more um, positive. I don't know if you know this, but Commissioner Mars, but there's been a massive push for increasing transportation services across Texas. And what I mean by that is increasing the development of roads, focusing on the creation of the Hyperloop, which I don't know. Do you know what the Hyperloop is, Commissioner Mares? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the Hyperloop has been one of the big things for all those listeners out there that was developed originally in the mind of Elon Musk and a couple other, uh, you know, think, think big, big brain people, as I like to call them, in the STEM fields. But then Virgin has really come on the scene as being the leader, I would think, um, in Hyperloop technology. And they recently were able to finally pilot a Hyperloop efficiently with people inside to a certain location from point A to point B. And the goal is at some point, as I have said on the previ on a previous podcast with one of my good friends, Sansu Leskinen, we talked about the innovation and the importance of Hyperloop going forward and that how Houston and um, Dallas are really wanting to create a Hyperloop system connection between them, which would allow people from Dallas and Houston to travel to those two cities in around 30 minutes, which is insane. And one of the things I wanted to know from you, uh, Commissioner Mares, is have you been focusing at all on dealing with increasing transportation efficiency for lower income status locations and also upper level income status it really shouldn't matter but i think improving overall the transportation services for for everybody is super important to a city and also a county and then looking at if you guys ever even heard or you know looked within about hyperloop well i i love the concept of hyperloop because i've always said i love my community i love being able to go to the beach fishing and all the outdoor stuff but you know i love the 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 uh the job opportunities that you find in other big cities especially in, in texas and if you could cut down the travel time i mean that would be a, an unbelievable game changer for well you know, politics the world, too. Be an really. amazing game changer 
Oh yeah, absolutely. That especially. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't have to worry about people just you know cramming into suburbs or neighboring counties. I mean, you could kind of pick your your area of choice and still be able to get to work on with a decent commute. Uh, we haven't really explored the Hyperloop, although I, I love that idea. You know, I've always talked about Noises County is we're such a great destination. But, you know, we're either at the beginning of the road or the end of the road, depending on which way you're going, right? If you're coming this way uh, because this is where you want to settle your life and be able to enjoy a lot of the outdoors and things like that. Or, you know, you see a lot of people who go to off to better opportunities. So, yeah, I think, you know, we would be a, a great destination for uh, Hyperloop. When we look at transportation overall, though, uh, you know, in Oasis County, uh, along with Corpus, the Corpus Christi area, we have a, a regional transportation authority uh, like you would find in, in, I would say, every major uh, area in Texas and throughout this country. Right. And so ours is mainly focused on the uh, the typical, you know, bus model, right, where you have your bus route system and you have that's how you, you get your community transported through. We have a high ridership here in the area. And it's not only in Oasis County, we also go into our neighboring counties in Patricio County. And so uh, that that's a big part of connecting us because, you know, we share a very regional approach with a lot of uh, businesses that we have. Uh, we have, you know, major naval installations uh, between uh, two of our counties in this area. And so being able to, to travel uh, around and to all of that uh, is, you know, it benefits us to have a good busing system. We have a system because even though San Antonio is about 150 miles away from us, we have a good chunk. I wouldn't say it's a huge chunk, but we do have a portion of people who live in that area, to a two-mile drive or two-hour drive away from us, who work in a lot of our oil refineries. And so they park in northwest Corpus Christi or northwest part of Oasis County and travel into the into the refinery areas or even into the base that we have along uh, the Gulf Coast. And you know that's an extra 20 or 30 minute uh, drive. And so people will park at these, you know, remote locations and then take the bus transportation. So, um, you know, I'm sure that's done in a lot of other communities, but it's important for us because we also have, we have a much more poor population that needs it because uh, people just need this type of transportation over their own vehicles. Well, if they want to get good jobs, it's like they need to be able to get to that place. You they know? need to be able to get to it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And it's and one of the things I've seen in Europe that, you know, has been super eye-opening for me when I went to Germany last summer, um, not this summer, the previous summer in 2019, the transportation services that I witnessed is just absolutely amazing. Now, there are certain locations like Luxembourg, which have seen massive transportation issues. But when you go into specific cities like Frankfurt, I thought had a decent transportation system. But one of the things that I noticed in Germany when I talked to German locals, they almost all of them use the local transportation services, the rail lines, the... Um, they have an electric bus um, system that is connected through the power, like the, the, I forget what it's specifically called. I mean, they call it, it's, it's, it's part of the bond system. It's the, there's different types of yeah. systems for it. Like you have the auto, the auto bond is for the, um, the, the cars, the vehicles, and then you have the Strasse bond, which I think is what it's called. The Strasse bond, it's the street cars. Um, and, and all those things are like, I think super important to help low income people. I don't think this is a, not, this is not a bipartisan, this is a, bipartisan um, resolving point, I feel like, because I feel like both parties would want to help low-income families in any way they can. I mean, that's one of their messages. Each one has a different way of messaging it, and everyone has different ideas of how to fix and help low-income families. But one of the things I think is we should be doing, no matter what party you're a part of, is improving transportation in cities. Yes. 
And, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Now that and that's a big part for us, and it and it and it, it's you know we, uh, I had a chance to go to, the Island University here in Corpus Christi, which is part of the Texas A&M system, and uh, they had the an autonomous uh, bus shuttle system from one side of campus to the other. And I know a lot of college campuses across the country are starting to do that, but I, I love that that is, for us it's a pilot project with our regional transportation authority. You know, to see if can they expand into doing that uh, for you know the actual ridership. You know, through, in, rather than in the closed system that you would find on a college university campus. You know, and do it through the city streets and all that. So that's really promising to be able to to see you know innovation like that, uh, pilot projects like that being developed here. But you know, we definitely have areas that we need to explore throughout the country and throughout the world of how they do uh, mass transit so much better than we do you know we're just still stuck in just kind of the the bus system alone but i do agree that you know we have to look at more and, and i love that hyperloop I, I think that's a one of the greatest uh you know concepts that that we've had uh in this century and, and it'll be i think the future of transportation I, I agree with you wholeheartedly i think it's going to be one i i, I similarly associate it with the development of the the, the car and the airplane yes. Hyper in the train. Hyperloop is going to be that next innovation that's going to change the world. I mean, it really is. It's going to change the way we do things, change the way we interact with people. It's just going to be a really interesting time. And I'm really, as long as, long as I keep staying healthy and living long enough, I hope to see the day, you know, in maybe 10 <laughs> years, 15 years, when it really becomes yeah. a big, big part of, you know, our, the state of Texas and other locations throughout the United States. And we're kind of nearing the end here of the podcast, but sure. one of the things I want to give you an opportunity to is really highlight your county and Corpus Christi and just talk about why, you know, you, why, what, what is so amazing about your county and what do you think it, local officials could do to better to improve your county or what do you think that, you know, what are you working on specifically that you, that you're really um, passionate about to really help out Corpus Christi and your the new Aces County? Well, uh, you know, we, you know, we're here on the coast, and so we have an opportunity for a lot of people to enjoy the outdoors, fishing and surfing, or just bird watching. Uh, Corpus Christi uh, used to be the birdiest capital in the nation, or uh, for I guess I think it was like a ten-year span where we had the most bird species that were identified within a certain amount of time, and and that you know, we we took that with pride, right? Because it's such a big component of what we feel is important in this area, which is. The environment and supporting nature and being part of nature, right? We have industry who they understand their responsibility of being stewards of that environment too, and not just about, you know, it could be pollution causing, you know, uh, machinery, but also trying to find a way to mitigate that and to help support, you know, the way of life that many people have here. Uh, you know, we have such a diverse community here. I, my precinct goes from the county line between Oasis County and Jim Wells County, which is in, in the Alice, Texas area, big oil country there. Um, and so I have farmlands and the ranches that are a big part, but we also have colonias, which for those that, that are familiar with that word, it, it's actually, of course, a Spanish word meaning the colony. But when you go to these uh, areas, they're areas that have uh, not been developed like you would find other neighborhoods, other subdivisions. There's inadequate infrastructure. That's a big part, a big challenge that people continue to move to those locations because land is cheap. And so that's been a big challenge here in Oasis County. And that's really been one of the projects that I've been working on uh, with a couple other commissioners and with the U.S. military to help 
trying to improve some of these areas through various uh, funding for infrastructure and, and engineering and other sources, medical and dental issues. And so that's been a, a big part of my four years. Um, I'm fortunate that a big portion, the majority of my portion of, of my precinct covers uh, part of Corpus Christi. So that is handled by the city of Corpus Christi, and we work well with the partners there. But, you know, we're, we're always there to, mon to monitor and support various ways to, to improve the lives there and of those residents. So um, it's it's been one issue after another. I thought, you know, you could spend all your time on working on economic development, which I had some some pilot projects I was planning on implementing with local businesses, and those all kind of got put aside once we started dealing with 2020. But, you know, they'll, they'll still be there. There'll still be ways to help support the community. And, and I think about, you know, we got to invest. We got to invest in our community. We right. have to be able to show that we're um, an economic destination because uh, we understand it's important. But like I said earlier, industry that does come here knows that they have to be good stewards of it uh as well and so we try to find that balance there and uh it's not always perfect we have a big issue of uh should it be uh should we have some desalinization plants uh built oh uh, i love that i worked with that when i was doing uh i was working with some desalinization companies when i was working oh, okay. at the uh when i was working at the uh office of uh, representative drew springer there was a bunch of conventions yeah. that were going on and they were talking about like how the future of water supply is going to be in the desalinization project. And they actually talked oh about Corpus Christi. So I'm actually happy you mentioned about that. <laughs> um, man, desalinization is is one of those other things that I think is going to really help the future for low-income families and just general and for people to get to have access to clean water and drinkable water. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it's important. I think the, the debate is you know, how how does the byproduct, the afterproduct of, of the desal, does it get included into the bay or should it be put out into the Gulf of Mexico where that system, that ecosystem can deal with it and process it better than if we put it more in the kind of an enclosed area like uh, Corpus Christi Bay. So that's the debate. I think a lot of people realize now that the technology has changed and made it more cost effective to be able to use it and obviously help with the long term. Um, water needs for, in this case, here in Oasis County, would be uh, for our industry mm -hmm. uh, and allow the regular water right, uh, to be used for just the citizens and for business. Uh, so it's that's kind of been the challenge. It's not as, as easy as, you know, just supporting it because we think it's great, which I do. I mean, I've been talking about desal since when I first ran for city council all those years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's uh, that, that we're going to be... I think one of the communities that are going to be challenged with showing how can this really truly support business or will it throw, will it drive business away uh, if we don't get it done right or if we don't implement some sort of a long-term solution for their watering. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on there, um, Commissioner Mares. Um, you know, I think you have represented well Nueces County and Corpus Christi, Texas. I mean, I've only been there once um, in my time in Texas and I absolutely loved it, you know, going to that area. I think it's a, very culturally rich area. It's a area that I think is going to be part of the future of Texas. And I think it's going to have a voice to play. And I think your voice is super important. And I'm happy you were able to come on the podcast today. Hey, well, I really enjoyed the, I appreciate the invite and enjoyed today's uh, podcast. And, and anytime you want me on and talk about anything, I'd be more than happy to come on because I, I truly did enjoy it. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank yeah. you for yeah, Thanks.
Big Stick fam and all newcomers to the podcast, thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. As we mentioned on this podcast, please don't be afraid to subscribe and drop a five-star rating and or review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us develop the podcast and reach out to more people and possible listeners. Also, a special shout out again to Colson's Repair Service for supporting this podcast. If you are in the Austin or Houston, Texas areas and are in need of car repairs or services, go ahead and give Chris and his five-star team a call. Again, thank you to all the listeners out there. See you next time.